welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 11th of January 2009, entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Alright, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, just going to read one verse to start with this morning. We'll be looking at, at others as we as we go through. But let me invite you to uh, to stand with us this morning to honor the reading of God's holy word, taken from First Samuel chapter thirteen and verse fourteen. But says, "But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people." because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Father, we thank you so much again today for the privilege of being in your house. And Lord, as we gather here today, we thank you for the time that we've had to, uh, Lord, join our hearts in song and sing praises to you. But now, Lord, we thank you especially for your word that you've preserved and left with us. Lord, we know our own inabilities and we know our great need for you at this time. Father, it is our desire that, uh, Lord, that you would anoint and, and, and speak through thy servant this morning. Lord, that you would take and make these words alive to the hearts because you know each one that is here today. You know each and every person's need. And Father, we pray that those needs would be met. We pray that the lost might be convicted and saved, the backslider restored, the Christian challenged and encouraged and built up in the faith. Father, would you use it for your glory? We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, the words that we find here in our reading are those that Samuel was speaking to King Saul as we find that Saul was about to be set aside from God's anointing upon him as a king. And that is exactly why it says to him, but now thy kingdom shall not continue because of his disobedience he was paying the price the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart and that's the thought that we want to dwell on both this morning and this evening uh, God willing a man after God's own heart and of course ladies when I say man there I'm speaking of mankind uh, a person after God's own heart if you prefer uh, but God says here that he was looking for a man. He had chosen a man after his own heart. Now one thing that is interesting uh, but really telling of God when we look at God's word is God's honesty in everything and about everything. We find that there was a famous portrait of Alexander of Macedonia when he had this portrait painted of himself, we find that the portrait was made with his face. Meditating on something. But in actual fact, what it was is he was hiding a scar on his face. Because in his own vanity, he did not want the scar to be painted as part of his portrait. But as we look at the portraits that God gives us in scriptures of the many people that we have them of there, God doesn't hide any scars. 
We find that God doesn't hide the weaknesses of those even that he uses in great way. He doesn't hide their frailties. We find that he is literally, we could say, uncompromisingly honest about everybody and about everything. Someone once said, I didn't make a note of even where I got it from, but it's when man is at his worst that God is at his best. You know, the truth is, is that God's grace is sufficient for all of our failings, all of our shortcomings, everything that we look at ourselves so many times and get frustrated about. So find, we find here that in the passage that we're looking at today, we find a portrait of undoubtedly what was Israel's most famous king, King David. And we'll find as we look through Scripture that that is precisely and exactly who God was speaking of here when it said, The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. We find that it was King David that God had chosen. Now we're going to look at this portrait of King David, a man after God's own heart. We're going to really try to break it down into two parts. And really those that pick up this evening, they're just going to, without this morning's sermon, then uh, uh, some of it's not going to be as clear. But what we want to look at, God willing, is the faith and the flaw of this man that was after God's own heart. The faith and the flaw. And God willing, this morning we want to look at his faith. And then this evening we'll look once again into God's word as we look at his flaw. And yet... He was a man after God's own heart. The picture begins, and we won't read all of the verses, but allow me, if I could, just to, to summarize most of the accounts of King David you'll be familiar with. We really pick up in, in, in chapter uh, 16 of, of 1 Samuel. We see this man, David, a man that was born at Bethlehem, just as our Savior was. He was the youngest son of the sheik of that town whose name was Jesse, and he was number eight. He was the youngest of eight. He had seven older brothers. This man that became such a great king, this man that was a man after God's own heart, he began life and his boyhood as a shepherd, a shepherd boy. The Bible explains describes him as being ruddy, literally someone with that reddish complexion spent a lot of time outdoors, and you can see that, that weathered look on their, on their face. It also describes him as having a beautiful countenance. He was a handsome man, if you would, to, to look on. Even though that it was clear that he was in the out, outdoors, we also find that he was a very gifted musician, that he played the harp like not many people of his day could play it like. He was known for his courage and his valor. We learn that even as a young lad that the scripture tells us of his slaying of a, of a lion and the slaying of a bear. And I don't know if you've ever you know, just gotten close to a lion or a bear, but that's no small feat. And he was defending his father's flock. We find that it was while he was a young, humble shepherd boy, that he was anointed 
by Samuel, God's chosen vessel, to be King Saul's successor to the throne. We read the story and we find that Samuel was summoned by Saul. and He was asked to, to go out and to, uh, to find this one. God is the one that sent Samuel. But then Saul himself, the Bible tells us that an evil spirit entered into him, which was just simply the fulfillment of what God had already promised was going to happen. And of course, in the end, when he asked about someone that would be able to come and to help him with this, to, to play for him, he was told for the first time about this young lad called David. Now Saul didn't know at this time that David had been anointed to be his successor to the throne. But he came to play a harp in order to dispel this evil spirit that had come upon King Saul. The Bible teaches us that Saul much when he came to play his harp for him and this evil spirit went away that King Saul made this young lad David his armor bearer. His armor bearer for the king. And of course we find as we read on not many verses later that it was this same young lad David that we read of the great familiar story that is usually one of the first that our Sunday school children read about the great faith that he had when he came to fight the giant Goliath to defeat him with just a sling and a stone. And of course as David defeated this giant which we'll take a closer look at a bit later Saul was so pleased with this that now instead of just being his armor bearer, that he actually put him over his army to lead his armies for him. One problem, the people began to love David a lot too. As a matter of fact, he became popular with the people that King Saul began to get very, very jealous. And of course in his jealousy, he throws a javelin at David to try to kill him twice, which David avoids. Saul was sneaky. He began to connive with his servants in order to trick David into thinking that he wanted him for a son-in-law. And what he asked for was for 100 foreskins of the Philistines as a dowry. Now, what he was really hoping for is that David would be killed in trying to get because he thought that was an absolute unattainable task. There's no way that he would be able to accomplish that. But instead, David returns with, instead of just the 100, he has 200. <laughs> and he presents them to King Saul. And that is when Saul then presents him with his daughter Micah to be his wife. Now Saul continues to plot to kill David. We find Jonathan, who was Saul's son, who loved David dearly. We find him interceding on David's behalf. And of course we find Saul uh, relenting at some point. We find David again bringing victory uh, for Saul against the, uh, the Philistines. But then we find this evil spirit once again coming upon Saul. And he tries to, uh, to kill David again. 
And that was the night that Michael lets him down uh, from the window so that he could escape. And he becomes a fugitive. Several years. Several years he spent as a fugitive literally running and fleeing from, from Saul's rage. Michael was even given to uh, another in marriage while he was gone and she wasn't restored to David until after King Saul's death. David flees and he goes to Samuel who was in Ramah. Then he goes to Nob where that he pretended that he was on a secret mission from Saul in order to get the sword of Goliath. He goes to Achish, the king of Gath. There he was pretending to be a madman to have lost his mind in order to escape death from the Philistines. In actual fact, the word that we would probably use to describe David at this time would be an outlaw. He's literally having to hide out from uh, from the king, from the government, for those that want to take his life. And of course, as an outlaw, he begins to collect a band of uh, uh, supporters. Uh, he makes a cave in uh, Agilum, his, his, his headquarters. And of course, we know of reading from that even in the Psalms. This was a just a wild, barren, mountainous region where that this man David, as an outlaw, as a fugitive, was literally having to run for his life, being hunted down like an animal by Saul's men. We find that during this time, one of the amazing things that we begin to see in this man called David was that on several occasions, he had opportunity to take Saul's life, to end it all because this was the man that was after him. This was the man that wanted to destroy him. And yet we see David sparing his life each time. Tired of all this, he once again, he crossed the Philistine frontier knowing that Saul wouldn't come after him there. By this time, he had a sizable force of some 600 men. Achish again, the king of Gath, gave him the city of Ziklag. And that was where that we know that the Bible teaches us that he dwelled for a year and four months, one of the most stable times during this period of his life. Because of David's continued assaults on cities, we find that these assaults were bloody and everybody was being wiped out and, and destroyed. But all of these, King Achish had absolute confidence that Israel couldn't hate anybody more than they hated David. Because after all, he was actually fighting on the enemy's side now. He was destroying Israeli cities and villages and, and, and towns. And that they utterly abhorred this man. David goes to the battlefield with the Philistines. This time he went with the other armies and they were going to fight against Israel. But the problem was that even though Achish himself was convinced... A lot of his armies weren't. His men just didn't trust David. So in fact, when they began to approach the battle, they sent him back to Ziklag with his men because they didn't want him there. We looked some time back, some months back, at the account of when David returned there. And of course, when he returned to Ziklag, he found that the 
Amalekites had come in and they had, had burned the city and they had carried off everything, including the women and the children, two of those wives being David's own. So David goes after them. He overtakes them. He defeats them. He recovers everything that the Amalekites had carried away. He brings them all back home. Then as we continue, we find as we move into the book of 2 Samuel that on the third day, the Bible says, following that defeat of the Amalekites, David hears of Saul's defeat and he hears of Saul's subsequent death. Now, again, keep this in mind. This is all a portrait. God is giving us a portrait of this one, this man, that he himself said was a man after his own heart. Saul had been his enemy. Saul was the one that had tracked him down like an animal. Saul was the one that had made him a fugitive and an outlaw and everything that he was at this time. And yet, the very men that came to report to him Saul's death, David kills the men because of the news that they brought to him. You would have thought that he would be glad that Saul was out of the way. We find after Saul's death that civil war broke out in, in Israel. For those that were wanting to take power, David moves to uh, Hebron where he takes up his residence in the hill country of Judah. There is where David is anointed king of Judah. The Bible teaches us that he reigned some seven and a half years over the house of Judah. But all this time, the civil war is still taking place in Israel. The war eventually comes to a close when Ishbosheth, one of the sons of Saul, finally takes the throne as king, and he is killed, murdered by two of his own captains while he's resting on his bed. That's what brings the end to the civil war. <laughs> Interestingly enough, these men that bring David this news, David has both of them killed when they bring him the news of, well, they, they didn't actually bring him the news this time. They brought him Ishbosheth's head <laughs> uh, to prove to him that he was no longer there. And of course, we find that even though that these were David's enemies, that he had a respect for their leadership. Now, of course, it was this time we find in scriptures then that David is anointed king over all of Israel, not just Judah, but over all of the tribes. So we see, as we look at this portrait, we see David, a humble shepherd boy, becomes a musician in the king's courts. We see a youth of great faith that because of the exercising of that faith, he becomes captain of the king's armies. The Bible teaches us what a great warrior he was as he brought about victory after victory. But as he became so popular, we see the jealousy of King Saul and how this man becomes a fugitive and an outlaw. And then David is a great warrior on the side of the enemy. 
fighting with the Philistines against Israel. But then this same man becomes king of Judah and finally king of Israel. That's a pretty full life. But we find as we look at this young man, David, at this point in his life, he's now a very aged 30 years old. 30 years old when he takes up the throne. And the Bible teaches us that he, he reigned for 40 years. Of course, as king, the first thing he does, he goes in and he, he captures Jerusalem and he makes it the capital of his realm. We find him going on to, to build a great kingdom. We find him conquering all of his enemies all around him. We find him not only with his battles, but with his administrative uh, achievements, building this tremendous empire that later he would leave to his son Solomon. He makes Jerusalem a holy city, the religious center, where he brings the ark of the Lord from Kirjath-Jerim back to Jerusalem. We see the establishment of the Levitical cities taking advantage of that position, that, that provision that had been made under Moses of six refuge cities. And he did this in order to contribute to the peace of Israel. We find that it was during this time that we find all of the, what we would say, I guess, the organization of the sacred music, the psalms that would be sung to God's glory. We see this same king, also one of the great desires of his heart, resolving to build a great temple for God. Although we know that that would eventually be given to his successor because of his sin. We find that one of the things that did take place under his realm was all the gathering together, though, of all the material and the means that that temple would eventually be built with. A phenomenal story, a phenomenal reign of a man chosen by God coming from such humble beginnings, but because of God's anointing hand. A man that rises and then that is knocked back down, a man that is running for his life and hiding out in caves. But God had made a promise. God had said that this was a man after God's own heart and that he would be appointed over all the armies. You know, as we look through this life of David, there is one thing that I believe that you will find over and over and over. That's the great faith that this man had in God, never wavering, never wavering. We read some of those Psalms when it seems that an individual, a human being, couldn't be much lower. And yet, his undying faith in his God. And of course, we see some changes to that in Second Samuel chapter 11 where we begin to see his flaw, but we'll look at that later. I want to remind you, in First Samuel chapter 16, and in verse... Seven. the Bible says but the Lord said unto Samuel look not on his countenance or on the height 
of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, it was God himself that called this man a man after his own heart. A man after God's own heart. And yet here is Samuel is being sent to anoint this man. It's God that reminds him, don't look on the outside. Don't pay any, pay any attention to how, how tall or how short what his outward appearance looks like because God doesn't see man in the way that man sees man. God sees the heart. That's where God looks. A man after God's own heart. And if we look to say, why is that statement made about King David? Why was he a man after God's own heart? Well, I want to propose to you that David was a man after God's own heart, first of all, because of his faith, and secondly, in spite of his flaw. You see, God doesn't hide the warts and the scars, and we'll look at some of that this evening. But what I want us to focus on this morning is his faith. Because, you see, I propose that we can see why that he was a man after God's own heart as we look at his faith, at his fight, and at his fulfillment of God's will. And as we look at those things, I want to point you to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We can't read all of these verses this morning. I'd like to, first of all, just to give you an example, a very familiar reading, but a great portrait of this man called David, this man after God's own heart, of just what his faith was about. 1 Samuel chapter 17, notice in verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, Now listen, at this point, David has come upon the armies, the Philistines on one side, the Israelis on the other side, and he comes upon them, and they're, they're set off against each other, and yet look, and David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine. Here's Goliath. He's spitting out all of his bitterness. What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? I mean, he's looking on this little lad. <laughs> what in the world are you doing down here? And with whom... Hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You're supposed to be watching after the sheep. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, 
for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. <laughs> yeah, you just want to take it all in. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. He's asking this question, but the message gets back to Saul. Now notice what it says. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Now that would have been a fight to watch, wouldn't it? Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Not David's armies, not Saul's armies. This is God's people. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. I mean, the odds could not have been stacked against this man anymore. Nobody thought he ought to be there. Nobody thought he ought to be going into this battle. He was just a youth. He was just a little lad. This, this was a great warrior that he was going against. There's no way that he could defeat this man. But you notice through and through, David's confidence, David's faith, was because this Philistine was defying God's army. God's people. He knew that you didn't defy God and get away with it. He knew whose side that he was fighting on. It didn't matter if all the odds were against him. It didn't matter when he faced off that, that lion and that bear. Can you imagine a man just grabbing a lion by the beard? <laughs> but he was God's man. God's hand was upon him. And we find that as we look at this man David and his faith, we see that that is the kind of faith that carried him right through his lifetime. An unending, unwavering faith in God keeping his promises. You see, that's where our faith really comes back to. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How many times have you heard that? God's promises. Faith isn't some kind of a, an emotional high that we work ourselves up to. Faith isn't something that we can, can build up within ourselves. Faith comes from taking God at 
his word, believing that God will do everything that he says that he will do. David always believed. I mean, when everything was against him, when all the circumstances showed differently, it didn't make sense. How could God, how could God be protecting him when he's out there running from his life, when, when all the armies are after him, when he's an outlaw, when he has nothing? How could God's hand be upon him? And yet, even though we know God doesn't hide all of the frailties, we know from reading his own songs, oh yes, there was times when he asked himself an awful lot of questions but he always came back with the same answer. God, God, boy, this is bad. This looks bad. This is bad. But God, but God, I'm saying to you that David was a man after God's own heart, not because of what was on the outside, not because of what man saw, but because of what God saw in his heart, his great faith his unwavering faith in God Almighty. Now, jump down just a few verses in your Bible. Look down to verse 43. I want to show you something else. It says, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. What in the world? <laughs> Am I some kind of a dog that you come up here to whip? Where's your armor? <laughs> Where's your equipment to even fight with? And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, and with a shield, but the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I was asked an interesting question this week by someone. And of course, many people are knowing some fear in their hearts right now. With the economic situation as it is, we see that, you know, as, as soon as fighting seems to stop in one place, it breaks out somewhere else. We read of all that's taking place in Gaza right now. We see the situations in the world and there's enough things out there that you could get a little bit worried about. Somebody asked me, so do you think that the United Kingdom and the United States will continue to be free nations with 
their democracies and everything intact as they are. And you know, the question was, I have no idea what will happen to the United Kingdom. I have no idea what will happen to the United States. Wasn't it last Sunday morning, I think, that we looked at the thought for such a time as this? I know that all the hope lies in God and in His people that He works through. I have no idea. But I do know the end of the story. I know that one day there will be a one world government. <laughs> I know that it's on the way. There will be a one world economy. It's all written in God's words. I don't know who's going to play what parts in all of that, but I know that it's coming, and I can't stop that. And the truth is, I do believe very much that if we look back into God's Word and to history itself, I believe that there are nations that know the blessings and the protection of God because of the stand that they take for God but I also know that nation after nation when they've turned their back on God they pay the price now I've shared before my prayer would be that this nation that the United States that nation after nation would turn to God that would look to him, that would give him his rightful place. I cannot control that. I can control my loyalty to my God. And I know, I know without any shadow of a doubt that whatever happens around us, whatever happens to the economy, whatever happens to the democracies, whatever happens to the nation that we know, that we love, God is still in control. He's the one we must look to. That's the kind of faith we see in King David when everything around him looked miserable, looked unwinnable, unattainable. He had a great faith. When he stood against an enemy that looked, I mean, look at it in the natural. He had all the armor, all the protection. He had all the, the big guns, as we'd say, the day and the big bombs and everything else. But David says, you come at me with all you've got because I'm fighting for God. It's God that will deliver you into my hands. Do we really believe that today? Do we really believe? You see, David was not fighting in his name for his pride. He was fighting in the Lord's name for the Lord's pride. This man had dared to defy the armies of God. You see, we see even in his fight that it was all because of his faith. He fought as he fought because it was undergirded by his faith in Almighty God. His faith, his fight, and David's fulfillment of God's will. Look with me very quickly into the New Testament, into the book of Acts. Notice what is said here in Acts chapter 13 and in verse 22. Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. What does Paul say about it? And when he had removed him, Saul, 
he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now I've said before, boy, one of the tough things we have to contend with and deal with many times is figuring out what's my will and what's God's will. <laughs> we can get them confused real quick. I'm saying to you, you see, it's all undergirded by his faith. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because of his great faith, his unwavering faith in everything, in every circumstance, in God Almighty. That's how he fought his battles. His fight was undergirded with that faith. And the Bible says that in that faith, he fulfilled all of God's will. How are our lives being spent? Fulfilling what we want in life, what we desire in life, or fulfilling the will of God Almighty? Does God have control of your life, of my life? Is that what we're really about in the life that we're living? Fulfilling our will or fulfilling God's will? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A very simple verse in verse 7. We could read all of these verses leading down, but listen, time is evading us. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. As children of God today, Christians, we ought to be walking by faith. Now, this Bible is talking about the confidence that they have. This, this passage here is speaking about the confidence that we have because we know the end of the story. We know we've got struggles now, but we know what God is doing. We know what lies ahead for us beyond the flesh. And we walk by faith, not by sight. Turn just a few pages over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what it says, first of all, in verse 32. He says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Does that same truth apply to us. We ought to be walking by faith, not by sight. He told us in that same chapter back in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. You know, folks, we learn our entire lives from childhood. We learn to walk by sight. We learn to watch where we're going. 
We learn to understand things by what we see, by what we hear, by what we touch, by what we taste, by what we feel. Those, those five senses are drummed into us, all of them. The senses of this flesh, of this natural. It's the human viewpoint. But as Christians, we did experience a human birth. And we did experience the human viewpoint and how to live by the human viewpoint. But hopefully here today, you've experienced the spiritual birth. And once we experience the spiritual birth, we've got to get past that human viewpoint and we've got to see the divine viewpoint. It looks different with God than it does with man. And we're to walk by faith of what God says rather than what we see with our physical eyes. At the close of World War II, of course, new aircraft were being built that would fly faster than man had ever flown before. But the pilots began to experience something frightening. And that was sometimes that when they, they went into their dives in these new faster aircraft, well, the aircraft would begin to, to shudder and to shake. They would begin to, to back off because they didn't know what in the world was taking place. Why? Because for the first time they were approaching what we know as the sound barrier. Man had never flown that fast before. He had never traveled faster than sound. He didn't know what to expect. You know, it was finally Chuck Yeager in his Bell X-1 that broke the sound barrier for the very first time. He said that as he approached the barrier, that he experienced this tremendous turbulence I mean, the plane started shaking to the point that even one of his instruments on the instrument panel just completely shattered. But he kept going. And all of a sudden, like, he was through it. And he said he felt the most serene peace in all of his life. <laughs> now, you know what? The turbulence was still there, folks. It's just that he had passed it. <laughs> it was at the rear of the plane now. <laughs> Hadn't changed. He'd gone through it. And I'm saying to you that we need to break through that human viewpoint. And sometimes there's going to be, as a matter of fact, there's always going to be some turbulence. And it might even become a little frightening. But we've got to get past it. We've got to break into God's divine viewpoint. That's what separated David. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. God was looking on his heart not on the outside. And in his heart, he had such a great faith in his God. And yes, he was a great fighter, but it was all undergirded by his faith. And as a man, he fulfilled all the will of God, the Bible said, because of his faith. You see, today, we need to break through that human viewpoint. Do we want to be a man Woman, boy, girl, after God's own heart. Wow, what a statement. What a challenge to us. David wasn't perfect, and God willing, we're going to look at some of the flaws this evening and the price he paid for some of that. We all have flaws, but we can still be great people of faith. We can be people after God's own heart. I believe with all my heart that's what set David apart. It certainly wasn't his material things. It wasn't his 
His beginnings, it was a hand of God upon a man that had a great faith to simply believe that God would do what he said that he would do. Father, I want to thank you this morning. Lord, David became a man after your own heart. And Lord, we've tried to just kind of look at a portrait of his, his life and, and then extract from that what was it that made him different. Lord, we see as we look at his life, we see the, the ups and the downs and the changes and the challenges and the crisis and all these things, and yet he was a man after your own heart. But Father, as we look at that, we see a great faith, a man that had a great faith in his God. The Lord fought his earthly battles in that faith that fulfilled your will, not his own, because of that faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grasp that truth in some way this morning. And I pray that if there are those here this morning that have never exercised their faith and put their faith in trust, Lord, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, Oh, I pray, pray earnestly and sincerely this morning, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would help them to realize that, Lord, it's impossible to please you without faith. And, Lord, that today their first step of faith is to exercise their faith in believing that as sinners their only hope for forgiveness is found in what Jesus Christ accomplished for them when he died the death, when he shed his blood, when he rose the third day, that's where their hope lies. I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Lord, for every child of God here today, as, Lord, we embark upon a new year on the calendar, I pray that, Lord, that we would seek and desire to be men, women, boys, and girls after your own heart. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. I pray that somehow that we could, Lord, grab hold of this great faith that we see and King David, help us, Lord, to have that same faith today. Maybe there are those here today. Lord, maybe they know that in their lives that, Lord, you haven't had your rightful place. Lord, maybe there are some here today that need to recommit or rededicate their lives to you and to your cause instead of their own. Maybe there's some here today that just need to be encouraged and challenged because, Lord, circumstances aren't looking good. There's much to fear around them. And yet you're still on the throne. Your promises still hold. And Lord, it's perfect love that casteth out fear. So Father, you work in hearts as only you can. May you change lives here today. May this be not just words to fill time. Lord, may through the anointing of your spirit, by your power, may they change our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.